Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is the 23rd of March, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Some of you are listening later in the day or even in the evening uh, on the Faith Radio app. So welcome. That's a great way to share the program with someone else. It's also a way to, you know, get around the fact that it may still be dark where you are and radio signals, um, you know, frankly, Paul, why is that? Why do radio signals not work until the sun comes up? Doesn't well, okay, we need to me. clarify it's just AM radio signals, and it depends on the radio station, the way it is licensed. Some are licensed as daytime only, mm. like our station, our AM station in Waterloo. Others, like our station here in the Twin Cities, as well as most of our others, uh, what happens is we run at low power until approximately sunrise, and that varies from month to month. They have a set time. But needless to say, if daylight savings were to be permanent, let's say in the dead of winter, here in the Twin Cities, December 21st is when we're, you know, sunrise wouldn't be till like 748. So our, our sun, our, our, pardon me, 848, and therefore we wouldn't be powering up to full power until 848. That's really Which late. happens to be after we're off the exactly. air. So it's possible <laughs> that the entire thing is just an effort to silence us. Oh, okay, okay. That, 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 let's not go that far. Was Marco Rubio came up with this idea. I, I don't I think know. he's trying to silence us. I know. He's just a no. southerner who doesn't get he it. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. Okay, he doesn't. So, I know. All right. So thank you for that clarification. Okay. Okay. Super helpful. You can listen on the Faith Radio app or streaming online at myfaithradio.com all the time, anywhere. So we encourage you to do that. I have been um, reading, reciting, preaching, praying, and singing the gospel to myself the last couple of days because the uh, the news out of Ukraine in particular, but other places around the world as well, and right here in the United States, a lot of very disturbing news, very, very challenging things happening um, in our own neighborhoods, in our own homes, in our own hearts, and, and around the world as well. And so I have been reading, reciting, preaching, praying, and singing the gospel to myself. So I offer you this morning, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. 
For me, be it Christ. Be it Christ hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. But, Lord, tis for thee, for thy coming we wait. The sky, not the grave, is our goal. O trump of the angel, O voice of the Lord, blessed hope, blessed rest of my soul. And, Lord, haste the day when faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Let me encourage you today to be in the Word of God. Read, recite, preach, pray, and sing the gospel to yourself, that you might then be prepared to turn and proclaim it to others, living in darkness, desperate for light. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, we're going to be talking with Jeff Bilbro. We're going to be talking across a range of topics, not the least of which is escaping American tribalism. Can we get out of our current state of tribalism? And if so, how? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. is an author. He's a professor. He also aggregates a really great list of things for us to be reading and considering at FrontPorchRepublic.com. His installment there is called The Water Dipper. Jeff, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Escaping American tribalism. So we have this, uh, certainly this experience of, uh, of tribalism in America. Talk about the author of this piece and the argument that he's making in terms of how we might get beyond our current entrenchment. Yeah, this is, uh, this is an essay in Unheard by uh, the author of Excellent Sheep, which is a pretty good book on education that I've read. Uh, his name is, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, to be honest, William Dariswitz. Dar- uh, uh-huh. Dar- I think. Sure, that sounds good. But he, uh, I think he has a fascinating kind of memoir or you know, personal narrative here of his own experience um, feeling like the kinds of media outlets he, he listened to and read and the people he hung out with um, were, were increasingly confined to a narrower and narrower uh, range of acceptable opinions. And he, he just felt like they are closing out and excluding too much reality uh, and for him, you know, this he was he's a academic, so it's mostly left leaning outlets. Um, but I, I think this is a phenomenon that happens across the political spectrum where, yeah, people uh, and publications have less and less tolerance for listening to aspects of reality or voices that might upset their particular ideological view of the world. And uh, he talks about his experience um, listening to podcasts or reading people who, who uh, had, I guess, a more capacious view and um, tried to wrestle honestly with with uh, alternative 
perspectives and uh, yeah, facts, aspects of reality that don't neatly fit uh, a particular narrative and how, how refreshing that was for him and how he realized, oh, I, I don't have to stay locked into this kind of echo chamber. But the world is an interesting place and it might not be fully explained by, by this particular ideology. And, you know, we can, uh, we can not be afraid to learn from and think about uh, ideas and people who we don't agree with on everything. And I, I just thought it was a nice, uh, I think more and more people are having this experience. I appreciated um, how he talked about coming to this awareness that the soundtrack of his life, which he yeah. admits had become NPR, like NPR was a soundtrack of his life. Yep. He listened to it all the time. And this moment of awareness where he realized they had moved from journalism to advocacy, um, that they had moved from reporting to, you know, seeking to move the listener to a particular not only point of view, but but activated point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I appreciated that. I appreciated that, um, you know, that sort of personal reflection. I think that's really healthy for each of us and all of us. Like, I, you know, yeah. I hope... Listeners here know, yeah, I have an agenda. Um, I am in absolutely intending to advance the gospel. I want people to be cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of, of this day. Um, I want to bring the Bible to bear in every conversation. I want to recognize the presence of God and his active influence um, by the power of his Holy Spirit. And I recognize that not everybody is operating out of that worldview. Um, so, I mean, I, I recognize what I'm doing, and I think I'm honest about it. You know, this is not um, intended to be a news broadcast. This is intended right. to be Christian radio. Um, and so, and, and yet you yeah. can still engage in good faith with a big range of ideas, right? Um, Absolutely. So you can and be you must, yeah. you must. Yeah. yeah. So I think you can be committed to that, that view, which I agree with and also in good faith, listen to other ideas. And that's, I think what he felt was beginning to be missing from NBR that, that in their kind of narrowing of moral clarity, that good faith uh, engagement became all too rare. So if you want to find the article that we are discussing, you go to frontporchrepublic.com, you pull up the water dipper, which is Jeff Bilbro's contribution there um, on Front Porch Republic, and you're looking for an article called Escaping American Tribalism. Next up, Jeff and I are going to talk about two topics. One is roots, um, because I found this uh, conversation really fascinating um, about fictional characters whose disordered lives reveal um, all kinds of things, and not least of which is the danger of detachment. But then also we're going to talk about technocratic dreams and unattached kids, why the care of young children cannot be outsourced. Those topics up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You're my defender. All right, in in what or in whom are you rooted? Are you rooted in a place? Are you rooted in your identity? Um, and and what does it look like to be so discontent with the rootedness of our place that we um, that you know we we actually fail to live the life that God has uh, called us to a particular place and time to live? Um, Concentric roots is the article that got me thinking about this question. Benjamin Woolard is the author of the piece, um, and I found it on the Water Dipper at FrontPorchRepublic.com, which is a list aggregated by Jeff Bilbro. Jeff, talk about um, concentric roots. 
Yeah, I appreciate this essay, I guess in part because I teach um, Dante's Divine Comedy quite often to my students, and we talk about this scene that he begins with, where the character Ulysses, who is sort of based, I mean, it, it's a, yeah, it's the same Odysseus that Homer writes about, but it's a different, a different version of the story. Um, he, instead of coming home, like he does in, in the Odyssey, uh, in Divine Comedy, Dante has Ulysses continue his quest and goes out outside of the, Medi the uh, Mediterranean Sea and goes down the coast of Africa, I guess. But, but the idea is that Ulysses is uh, insatiably curious about uh, continued exploration, and, and he continues to explore despite his responsibilities to his home, uh, despite his you know, wife and child and, and the, the island community of Ithaca needing him to return. He is more interested in uh, the glories of exploration and discovery, and so destroys his own soul. And he looks at some other literary characters who have this same kind of wanderlust. Uh, maybe my favorite is Mrs. Jellyby from Dickens's Bleak House, who has uh, what Dickens terms telescopic morality, that I think is uh, an all too common affliction today. Yeah, where we invest more of our attention and energy and uh, uh, emotional life in outrages happening far away than we do in uh, things near at hand where we can be more responsibly engaged. So the lesson there, um, because I think that's absolutely true, um, the the lesson there in, in terms of bringing it literally home, we have been obviously talking about Ukraine and what is going on there. We have been um, seeking to partner with ministries in Moldova and Romania in particular. Um, we've been highlighting it here, uh, raising people's awareness, hopefully raising their concern and, and releasing resources. But I think that, you know, what's happening in the one square mile around my own home, right? We still have people really, really struggling following tornadoes that came through our community not very long ago, but long enough ago that everybody else has forgotten about them. And we started talking about that because as we looked at the pictures um, of places in Ukraine devastated by war, there's a square mile not very far from us that looks exactly like that. But it was a tornado, right? Not, not bombs falling from air, but certainly felt like that to the people living in those homes and now, now struggling to recover. Um, and so I, I had that in my mind or God brought that to mind as I was reading this. And I think that you're exactly right. It, it is somehow easier. This is wrong, but it is somehow easier to focus on the horrible things happening very, very far away, to lift them up in prayer, to send money. Um, then it, it, it's easier to do that than to actually drive down the road and ask someone, how can I help? Because I know that's going to require a really long-term personal investment. Yeah. 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 Unmasks my selfishness right there to everyone listening. Um, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Okay, so let's also look at this other piece Technocratic Dreams and Unattached Kids Why the Care of Young Children Cannot Be Outsourced. Uh, Tara Feek or Feeky or Fike? I don't know. I should Google everybody's names and listen to them pronounced before I do this. <laughs> um, but she's re really woven together her own experience as a child care worker. And then recent studies um, to show what the long-term consequences of pre-K are. Um, and so what does she tell us? 
Yeah, and I think she's a very compassionate, uh, you know, writer in this regard because she, as you say, she's been a child care worker. Now she has young children of her own, uh, but she's really concerned both from her personal experience and then from this, these new studies that the kind of uh, long-term institutionalization of childcare is not healthy for kids. And, uh, you know, there's been data suggesting that, that uh, universal pre-K can improve uh, children's performance in school, but the, the new studies indicate that long-term those those initial bumps go away and actually um, become inverted. So that kids who spend all of their lives in, you know, day-long day childcare settings suffer from, um, you know, disciplinary problems and attention and uh, social issues because they don't have those those strong family bonds to anchor their sense of identity and, um, you know, help them thrive in difficult circumstances sometimes. So yeah, I think Tara's uh, compassionate about the needs or the pressures that sometimes push parents to put their kids in daycare or in uh, all day pre preschool, but those have real con costs. So we have to do what we can, I guess, to, to avoid pressuring families to make those decisions and provide them opportunities to care for their children at home. Yeah. So what might that look like? I mean, let's just have a practical conversation here yeah. about, you know, um, about people who who think their only option is to send their child to a government run um, all day daycare or preschool. If they send them to any other kind, it's going to be expensive. And so that's right. really kind of easy to figure out. Um, you know, what is the cost of that and how much am I working just to provide child care and, and, and those kinds right. of things. Um, but, you know, I don't know. How might the church step in? How might, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but what does it look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at it from, there's government policies that could be could be uh, implemented that would incentivize or, or provide, help encourage families to, to do it themselves as opposed to encourage them to... Um, yeah, you know, make make these programs free. But on the other end, I think it's helpful to think about the church individuals. And part of that one way is uh, to have better, um, you know, cooperation between generations and between families and churches to help out, uh, create flexibility, um, co-ops or sharing situations where we can um, help bear one another's burdens uh, with young children and make it possible for uh, young families to, you know, f young parents to have the time they need to work or to shop or whatever, um, but still be really involved and invested in, in the care of their own children. I mean, that's just going to begin with relationships, right? So uh, um, I have to know the people in my, yep. in my church and in my neighborhood who have little kids. I have yeah. to figure out how to cultivate a relationship with them without it seeming weird. <laughs> Like, right. I mean, like, right. I mean, there's people are skeptical yeah. and I get that. Um, and we have to have safeguards and we have to figure yep. out how to do how to do this in a way that really serves families um, and really encourages them to figure out ways to stay home with their own kids. Um, and, and how do we do that? How do we really function as the household of God, as the family of faith, generationally so? Um, you know, when when Jesus says, uh, this is my mother and these are my brothers, referring to those who are doing the will of God. I am not sure that we have all 
really embraced that in the church. We still think of our genetic relationships in the world as more significant than our uh, spiritual relationships with other members of the body of Christ. And somehow we got to make that we've got to make that transition and we have to get older people cared for, younger people cared for, special needs people cared for. Like we've got to engage with the realities of the people whom God has called to himself in Christ Jesus um, because we don't get to pick the people in the church. I mean, we are chosen to be among them, but we don't get to choose who else God chooses. Um, God wants them all. And so what does that look like for me to want to be in relationship and serve them all as well? It's a really good provocative question. I, I don't want to just be arguing that, you know, people ought not be sending their two and three-year-olds to all-day um, daycare uh, or government-run preschools. I want to be the person who says, okay, how can we offer them alternatives? What does it look like to be in partnership with women women in particular, but families um, more generally um, in my community that would enable them to stay home with their own children? It's a big question. Yeah. I think that's exactly the right response, though, Carmen. All right. I don't want, uh, you know, I certainly don't want kids um, getting any less than all that God wants for them. And he put them in the families he put them in for a reason. So we just, you know, to be mindful of that. Right. Yeah. It's so good. All right, Jeff, as always, you bring us such provocative things to think about. You guys can read all of this and so much more at The Water Dipper. You can find it at Front Porch Republic. Dot com. You can also find Jeff at jeffbilbro.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. If only I could have a puppet, I'd call myself so well, in terms of what's going on around the world, President Biden departs for a very high-stakes high uh, trip to Europe today. One should also be aware that there's been a deadly tornado um, in New Orleans overnight. I'll be praying for rescue and recovery there. Ukrainian forces are now fighting to take back territory that the Russian um, army briefly held. Um, Ukraine's forces have said their counterattack in the north and west of Kiev appear to have made some headway. They have regained control of uh, Makariv, which is a town west of the capital that was, as I said, briefly held by the Russians. The war is, I will use the word, unrelenting. Um, in the city of Mariupol, satellite images show fires and destruction across the city. It's been besieged by the Russian military now for weeks. Um, and the uh, the bombing of Mariupol is, it, it is relentless. It's unrelenting. It is ongoing. Um, and the United States defense officials have now uh, confirmed that Russia is firing on Mariupol from ships in the Sea of Azaz, Azov. So um, the 100,000 or so people who remain in Mariupol, which is about a quarter of the original population, it, it is really, really uh, increasingly hard to imagine how they survive. And so let's be um, absolutely... Uh, praying for that. A convoy of 11 buses that was driving toward Mariupol to rescue Ukrainians was uh, taken over and commandeered by the Russians. Um, and uh, apparently where those buses were taken um, is is not yet known. Um, and so just ongoing. I mean, it's it is so hard to imagine. It's so hard to look at the pictures. And yet we dare not turn away. I mean, we just dare not turn away because um, these are the days in which 
God has ordained that we would live. And, um, and these are precious people under assault. We're going to talk with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News about what Christians are doing in the region in response to Ukraine. She'll also bring us up to speed on what is happening in other places around the globe. From Mission Network News, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. That's up next. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining us now, Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at missionnews.org. Ruth, welcome back. Good morning. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much. Talk with us about um, what you're hearing from your partners at Trans World Radio in terms of how Russian Christians are responding to refugees from Ukraine that are actually you know, crossing over the Russian border because they're primarily Russian speakers and maybe just much closer proximity to the Russian border than any other border of Ukraine. Yeah, we wanted to get a, a story from the perspective of Russian partners because, uh, you know, as as we're getting all the coverage on what's happening in Ukraine and all of the devastating situations, we wanted to bring uh, a point to the forefront, which is that Russia has a lot of evangelical believers and they are um, – very upset by what's going on here, and does not necessarily in agreement with what the government is doing. Um, a lot of evangelicals want to pray for the situation, and they want to pray for peace. In fact, they are reaching out to help refugees from Ukraine who are coming over the border uh, with food and shelter. Um, at a recent women's conference in Russia, the situation in Ukraine was weighing so heavily that they just stopped what they were doing uh, to enter into a, a concert of prayer for peace in the region uh, with Ukrainian uh, brothers and sisters. And, uh, you know, as we talk about these kinds of things, um, we have to remember, too, that sanctions that have been issued uh, over the situation have a direct impact on everyone. Um, It's meant to curb government uh, uh, actions, but when it all trickles down, it affects the people down on the ground quite heavily. Uh, So gospel workers in Belarus and Russia are very concerned about what's happening. Transworld Radio is very concerned about what's happening because it's an uncertain future. I mean, if you're not part of the state church, you don't really know how long you're going to have freedom to share the gospel and encourage people, believers uh, through the medium of radio, through Transworld Radio and what they're doing on the ground. Um, they're worried that their resources are going to dry up because of the sanctions and outreach may be affected in that way. Uh, they've got a, a really nice... I guess, suite of tools that they are producing uh, to encourage the body of Christ in these areas. Uh, you've got broadcasts on FM. You've got a, uh, a series of internet programming that is vibrant and growing and encouraging and groundbreaking broadcasts of TWR's Women of Hope in North Caucasus. All of these things are, are off the ground and running and healthy right now. But as sanctions continue to put pressure on um, uh, Belarus and Russia, there's concern that they're going to be silenced. So um, I think what we can do with Transworld Radio is we can join them in praying, join the the body of Christ in praying for the situation, praying for peace, praying for gospel opportunities, because that is what people are seeing. Of all the partners that we have working with the Ukrainian refugee situation— Everyone is in accordance with one thing, and that is it is providing gospel opportunities. You don't want to, you know, go into a, a crisis situation, and that is the, on, the only thing that you ever talk about. But when you meet people 
in a moment where uh, there's emotional upheaval, there's absolute chaos, there's no certainty, everything that they knew is gone, um, they start looking for answers and they start wondering about things that are just beyond their immediate situation. And it's an, it's an opportunity to sit and listen to the stories, to uh, just you know share that time with them. And that leads to why are you doing this? What motivates you to do something that no one else will for us? And that's your gospel opportunity. And this happens over and over and over again. In every crisis that we talk about, uh, we see this repeated. And and again, this is what we are seeing. There are a lot of ministries that are connected to Ukraine because Ukraine was um, very open and free about what they were allowing in terms of uh, uh, practicing the Christian faith and following Christ. And so there are so many uh, networks that are already in place to deal with the situation as it is, both inside the country mm -hmm. for those who are refusing to leave and outside the country for those who have connections. Uh, there's, a, mm -hmm. there's already a route that's established. And in a way, I would say that this is, a, this, is, this is one of those moments where you have to say it's a God thing because these routes are already established. These connections, these relationships are already there to help with a crisis like this. Um, this is, you know, in, in, in other situations we've seen, uh, it takes time to establish that. And it can be very, very difficult uh, because there's just so many logistics that have to be worked out. Um, but this is one of those things where we're praising the Lord for those opportunities. I did want to point out something that was kind of a side note to this that is on, on the darker side of the the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And that is what we're hearing from the uh, MENA Leadership Center. That's the Middle East and North Africa Leadership Center. It's another one of our partners. They're hearing that Russia um, is sort of calling in favors from the Middle East. Um, and because they supported the Syrian regime, a lot of those favors, so the, the call basically is going out to Syrian men. And they're calling them to fight for Russia in this situation with against Ukraine. Uh, so what we're hearing is that like 40,000 Syrians have registered to travel to Ukraine and fight for Russia. This is a, a hard situation because it creates a whole bunch of backlash in other areas as well, as you can imagine. Um, yep. But this is, these are forces that are being mobilized. Um, and, and MENA Leadership Center also wants to point out that while this is a serious situation, you have Syrians who are also being mobilized to fight in a spiritual battle. They are uh, the gospel workers who are trying to find a way to reflect Jesus Christ in a very difficult situation. So, Ruth, I, um, as I was reading uh, this particular piece about believers in Belarus and Russia that's posted at Mission News, um, you know, I'm just I'm so aware today that Belarusian troops are uh, are staged now to become engaged that's going to change um, the global relationship with Belarus. And so I think we also need to be praying for, you know, the relative freedom that Christians in Belarus are currently enjoying and how that might change. Um, also, how sanctions against their country is going to change their life very, very dramatically. Um, and just be praying that maybe God would change the hearts of those who are considering sending Belarusian troops to come alongside Russian troops um, in Ukraine, because that is going to change the posture of the world to Belarus. So I, I share with you the concern about mercenaries that Russia is recruiting from Syria and, and elsewhere. 
Um, but I'm also concerned about the, what is what is the imminent change in the global relationship to the nation of Belarus as their government um, comes alongside Russia against Ukraine in this particular war. It's um, uh, it's a mess. It's uh, it's it's very, very bad. Um Appreciate your reporting out of 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 all of this. You guys can read some great stories related to uh, how organizations are on the ground helping. We've talked with a number of organizations um, in surrounding countries, and there's a really good piece at Mission Network News about what um, OM is doing. You want to give people a, a little glimpse into that, how OM is giving help to Ukrainian refugees? Well, this is one of the the things that I was alluding to earlier, where the network is already in place. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we did have the opportunity to hear the story of uh, a missionary family who is in uh, Kiev, and uh, when the bombings began, this particular missionary sent his family away, but but decided to stay put because of the needs that he was going to have to answer. Um, so he's been there while you know you've you've seen. Uh, all of the things that have been happening in Kyiv. Um, OM has four locations in Ukraine, and that includes Kyiv and the port city of Odessa. So they have a network in place that's ready to, um, I guess, act on the relationships that have been built and on the goodwill that has been generated because of the work that they've been doing over the years. Um, so they are feeding um, the refugees that are coming through, housing them, giving them some uh, some time for respite in a very uncertain situation. And knowing that this is probably going into a war of maybe attrition, um, who's going to last the longest, uh, this, is, this is something where they're trying to prepare for a long haul. Um, again, it's, it's asking prayer for the body of Christ uh, to um, come alongside Ukrainians' believers, uh, they feel um, the burden of what's going on here and uh, are asking just basically that the Lord would strengthen Ukraine's believers. Um, if you want to support that, there's a, there's a tab at our website that has all of the Ukrainian ministries that, that we have been talking to uh, for all of these stories, all of the different uh, aspects of the things that we talk about. Um, we have another partner, International Media Ministries, that uh, seeks to put the gospel on every screen around the world. And um, one of the things they do is provide videos, uh, just going over church history. There's discipleship. There's evangelism videos. And they had a suite of videos that was uh, in in Russian. Um, They were being asked for resources, and that's what they had for the archives. Uh, They're working to finish up the translation in Ukrainian, uh, in the Ukrainian language, I think this week, and they're hoping to release that to the the networks of partners that are asking for those resources. So again, you have people that are on the move. You have a a, a very transient um, population that's going places, and not everyone speaks the language. So having something that's in their mother tongue that is encouraging them, that is pointing them to Jesus Christ, even though they may not know who that is, that's something that it opens a, a door of opportunity for those who are able to be hands and feet on the ground. Amen. All right, we're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We're going to continue our conversation, but we're going to pivot to another part of the world. We're going to look at the status of things uh, in Myanmar. As you will remember, the United States has declared uh, what is happening to the Rohingya people as genocide. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We
The Secretary of State, uh, Antony Blinken, has formally accused Myanmar of committing genocide against the country's Rohingya population. Um, we have been talking about the Rohingya and their treatment in Myanmar for years now. Um, Ruth Kramer joins us from Mission Network News. You can find the article posted um, at missionnews.org about attacks on civilians in Myanmar. Ruth, bring us up to date. Well, you know, this it seems like it's gotten worse. The increased airstrikes and the artillery fire has gotten worse since Russia's invasion uh, of Ukraine, probably because the world's scope, the world's um, eyeballs are on that situation and not what's going on in Myanmar. Uh, so what we're seeing now is like the worst violence in the country since World War II. Um, it's a, a situation that has approached uh, the level where we're talking war crimes and crimes against humanity. And of course, the, you've got the designation from the State Department now that uses the word genocide, which unlocks the opportunity for things like sanctions. Surprisingly, I think to me, um, with the situation in Myanmar and the, Ro the Rohingya, um, nothing really on the line of sanctions has been done to approach this situation, to try to get it to stop. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not really sure why it's taken this long to to get to this point, but now that that designation has been made, the U.S. has a few more tools in its belt with some teeth. Um, you know, this is a situation that we've been following for a long time, uh, and especially since uh, 2017 when you had the coup and all of the things that are that are going on there. Um, our partner is AMG International there, and we've been talking to them uh, about what's been happening. Um, since this this really started to be uh, a, a problematic situation, uh, what they're saying now, since the increased airstrikes and artillery fire, is that a thousand people per day are crossing the border into Thailand. Um, the camps are already overfilled. They're already uh, struggling with the the sanitation issues and just trying to make sure there's a roof over people's heads. You've got this is this is a massive group of people that is basically stateless. They have no rights, they have no identity, they have nothing, and no, none of the countries want them. So they they are just sort of like in a no man's land and uh, nobody really wants to give the resources to support them because then you have to basically own the situation. Um, so it has been NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that have been coming in to try to help with the situation, but you, it's a drop in the bucket. In any situation where you've heard about ministries who are helping in this in these refugee camps, uh, it's really a drop in the bucket. Um, they're working to provide food and shelter and medicine um, and sanitation, basic education, and the good news of Jesus in a very desperate situation. And again, because you know, you and I have talked about the issues with the crises mentality, this has been an opportunity for the gospel. So there are churches that have grown by like 50% uh, since this whole situation began back in 2017. Um, folks listening will remember conversations maybe that we've had with David Eubanks from the Free Burma Rangers and Christians Concerned for Burma. Um, you know, one of the conversations we've had, Ruth, is even even when our attention is turned in, this, in, in the direction of Myanmar, um, we're focused on the Rohingya people. We're not focused on some of the uh, ethnic groups like the Karin people, who are also um, absolutely uh, un persecuted and, and targeted by the Burma military. And so um, the issues are serious. They're significant. It's a people group under just constant assault by its own government. It's just, it's, it's just awful. 
Um, let's um, let's also I don't want to uh, miss the opportunity to talk with you about what's going on in Uganda, because I think that, um, you know, whenever we're focused intently in one place like Ukraine, um, bad actors really begin mis- misbehaving in other places. That's what's happening in Myanmar. It's also what's happening um, in parts of Africa. Tell us what's going on in Uganda. Well, you know, Uganda has been an area that has been pretty free and open for uh, the practice of the Christian faith. And um, it's been kind of a staging area into the what the, the rest of the surrounding countries because of its its uh, uh, receptivity to Christians and, and the ministries that have built uh, home bases there and things like that. But what we've seen uh, over the last maybe two, three years is an uh, un- I want to is a disconcerting. That's the word I want to look. Uh, I want to use disconcerting rise in Islamic extremism uh, that has been uh, manifesting in a lot of violence against Christians, mostly at the border areas. But you're, you're looking at um, Al Shabaab that's active in the east, uh, in Somalia, parts of Kenya, and and it's dripping over into Uganda. You've got um, the the group. Um, the Allied Democratic Forces, and uh, that's an anti-Kampala group um, in the West. And um, Uganda has been uh, trying to fight off both of these extremist groups um, so far with relative success um, because they're sort of leading the charge against anti-terrorism in that region. Um, but that doesn't mean that they've been able to stop everything because, you know, you've got border security issues and all of the things that go with that. Um, so when we talk to people like Voice of the Martyrs uh, about these stories that we're seeing with the rise in um, extremist reaction against Christians, um, it, it it's not just my imagination. It's not our imagination when we're looking at, uh, you know, attacks at the end of January. There were four attacks at the end of January where you had multiple people who were beaten unconscious or who were uh, attacked in some way that um, either led to a kidnapping or in a severe personal injury. Um, in some cases, they there were deaths uh, in the situation. So, we just wanted to put that out in front of people to be aware of what's happening, to be aware that even though Uganda seems like a pretty safe place, we are hearing kind of a disconcerting rise in the presence of Islamic extremists who are really fighting back against the movement of um, following Christ throughout mm-hmm. the country. There are additional headlines at uh, missionnews.org about China's lockdown of millions amid a COVID-19 spike. Um, Coverage on the uh, earthquake in Japan triggering trauma, particularly among those who remember um, the devastating uh, earthquake and tsunami of just a number of years ago. There are reports out of Lebanon and Afghanistan related to famine, which is on the rise around the world. Um, and 40 million people uh, are in imminent uh, imminent danger of starvation. We talked with a representative from World Vision earlier this week, um, but these articles specifically about Lebanon and Afghanistan, absolutely worth your read at missionnews.org. Ruth, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. That's Ruth Kramer. You can find her at missionnews.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. much is that dog in the window? Mm. 
That's because it's Puppy Day. Is it Puppy Day? Is that right, Paul? Yes, also, National Puppy also, Day. Yes. National Puppy Day. It's also Atheist Day. Well. I don't know why they get a day, but anyway, um, it is. It's their day. Um, I want to uh, just invite you to pray today the Lord's Prayer. I want to invite you to pray it word by word, phrase by phrase. This is a fantastic spiritual exercise. Uh, it became a discipline for me when I was... Um, when I was in seminary a number of years ago, um, it helps me not only reconnect with the reality of who God is um, and my life in relationship to him, it brings me peace. Like it actually just like delivers peace to settle into the words and the phrases of the Lord's prayer. Consider each word, consider each phrase. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Not everybody's going to have daily bread today. Let us pray that God would supply for their needs. And not everyone knows that we have a Father in heaven whose kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Let's do our part to make that happen today. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.